Hey, the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails, and with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers and with available features like the panoramic moonroof. You can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. Visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. If you're like me, it's now the end of the day, and you say, "Uh uh-oh, what are we going to have for dinner? Well, here's the solution. Eating better is easy with Factors Delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes. You're going to have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Flexible for your schedule, get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries at any time. Also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. Sign up and save. We've done the math. Factor is less expensive then take out, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. What are you waiting for? Get started today and get after your goals. Head to factormeals.com slash smirconish50 and use code smirconish50 because you'll get 50% off. That's code smirconish50 at factormeals.com slash smirconish50. Get your 50% off. Hi, it's Michael Smirkanish. Welcome to Book Club with Michael Smirkanish, a collection of Michael's favorite interviews with authors from the last 30 years through today, on the air, on radio. What sets my book club apart is that I actually read the books. Book Club is now in session. I'm curious and have made this today's survey question at my website. Are you a daily reader of a local newspaper? It matters not for my survey question whether you're reading it electronically or whether you're touching it. I just want to know if on a daily basis you are reading a local newspaper. Margaret Sullivan is the media columnist for The Washington Post, the former public editor of The New York Times, and the former editor of The Buffalo News, where she started her career as a summer intern. She was twice elected a director of the National Society of News Editors and is a former member of the Pulitzer Prize Board, most importantly for our purposes. She's now the author of Ghosting the News, Local Journalism and the Crisis of American Democracy. Hey, Margaret, thanks so much for your time. Thank you so much, Michael. Great to be with you and your listeners. The statistics tell a pretty compelling and sad story. American newspapers cut 45 percent of their newsroom staffs between 2008 and 2017. You also say more than 2,000, 2,000 American newspapers have closed their doors and stopped their presses 
since 2004. The data is stunning. Is there any other data point or way that you like to express to people who might not be aware of that, just how much we've lost? Well, you've hit the right data points, but I would add that since the coronavirus began and the economic downturn uh, resulted, these numbers, which were terrible, have actually, the pace of them has accelerated so that even more reporters are being laid off or furloughed and even more newspapers are going out of business. So it's actually, uh, to the extent it was in free fall, the free fall has gotten uh, faster and worse. So is the book that you've written a nostalgia play? Not at all. It's, uh, you know, I grew up in the in the print journalism world, and I love print, and I love a good print newspaper, but I exist in the digital world, and we all do. And we get our news largely on our phones, and this is the reality. What I think is important is not to save printed newspapers, but to save local journalism. And that's got to be our focus, not sort of a nostalgic look at the uh, the rumble of the presses and all of that. It's about... It's about saving the work, not uh, the, the format. You write, it's hard to convince a significant chunk of the public that they ought to care deeply about this or do anything about it. There are plenty of news sources, free after all, on the Internet, though relatively few that dig into local news with the skill of seasoned newspaper reporters. And then you identify some. What do you say to people who say, well, what do you mean we're lacking in news sources? My God, I've never had so much choice. Right. People feel like there's this firehouse of, uh, fire hose of news coming at them at all times, and they're right. Um, but largely what we're getting is national, po- national political news. The fear and the lack is that local journalism, which is you know, so important to people feeling connected to their community and knowledgeable about their community, that's what's going away. And that really, in a sense, it has nothing to do with all this stuff about Trump and, and Mitch McConnell and you know, the AOC and what she said on the Hill yesterday. That, there's plenty of that, but not so much the coverage of our local school boards. I thought that you had a great example of what we're talking about in the book when you referenced Julie K. Brown. Uh, I watched recently the, uh, I guess it was on Netflix, uh, a several-part documentary about Jeffrey Epstein, and I was kind of bummed because I've interviewed her and I was well aware of her role and they didn't give her her just due. But, you know, arguably Epstein would never have been facing prosecution. I mean, in the second go round, not the, yes. the minor, the slap on the wrist, but for her dogged pursuit of that story. No question. And actually, you know, prosecutors are not, uh, they don't tend to give credit to news organizations too much. But in this case, the prosecutor did reference her reporting. And, you know, she went back at it and said she wanted to talk to all the girls and women who were affected. And that's, that's what put the whole thing back together. So, you know, Julie K. Brown works for the Miami Herald. The Miami Herald is part of the McClatchy chain, and that chain has just been bought by a hedge fund. It's very scary to think of what's going to happen because hedge funds, which are snapping up newspapers in order to suck the last profits out of them, they tend to function by getting rid of journalistic staff. So those stories may never exist. And, Michael, it's so hard to describe to people that we don't know what we don't know. If Julie K. Brown had never done that story, you know, we wouldn't know that it was undone. It's the fact that it existed that changed the world. 
You know, I, I, I'm aware of the fact that you were once the public editor at the New York Times, and it brings what you just said brings this to mind. In a prior life, when I was only 29, I was appointed by the Papa Bush administration to run the Department of Housing and Urban Development in five states and Washington, D.C. Immense responsibility, especially for somebody that age. Jack Kemp was my boss. And such was the level of controversy then surrounding public housing that at the Philadelphia Inquirer, there was a full time investigative reporter assigned to the housing beat. His name was Matt Purdy. And now, of course, today plays a very, very big role at the New York. I always like to tell him I got him his job because he wrote so many negative pieces about me. He was such a burr in my saddle. And yet (laughs) I have I have to say, Margaret, I fully appreciate the fact that without a Matt Purdy out there looking over the shoulders of all that expenditure of public money, you know, who the hell knows what's going on? Exactly. And Matt Purdy, as you say, is now a a very high-ranking editor at the New York Times and and really reads every investigative story that comes about. Uh, It's funny, I I went to Northwestern's uh, Medill School for grad school, and I had a, a young colleague there who clipped every one of Matt Purdy's stories out of the Daily Northwestern and saved them <laughs> just because he was so darn talented, even as a student. But you're right. Having those reporters can be extremely annoying to the public officials who are doing their work, but they serve a huge purpose in keeping everybody honest. And, you know, it's interesting because there are studies that show that when local news goes away, municipal borrowing costs go up. Why do they go up? Well, because government becomes less efficient and possibly and probably more corrupt. So there's a lot um, about local journalism that is really important. And I think the reason I wrote this book is to kind of try to wake people up to what's disappearing before our eyes. Well, one of the other arguments that you make in the book is that without the local reporting and without, therefore, the knowledge that comes from it, there is less civic engagement and actually less voter participation. That's right. And, you know, Michael, it's so interesting because the way you uh, portray your point of view is, you know, neither neither uh, side partisanship. And that's that's part of what happens when you have good local reporting is that people have this kind of shared commonality. They have the facts and they will more frequently cross the aisle to vote. You know, if they're a staunch Republican, nevertheless, they'll sometimes vote Democratic uh, and vice versa if there's strong local reporting. When that reporting goes away, people retreat into their tribes and their echo chambers much more. And there are numbers to show that. And I cite them in the book. Margaret Sullivan's book is called Ghosting the News. In my Twitter feed, there is a a link to everything you need to know about it, as well as a a posting at Smirconish.com. This is the Book Club with Michael Smirconish podcast from Sirius XM. Spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. That means more comfort and less baggage. Experience how Allbirds is redefining comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S.com, code SUPER24. Hey, the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4. 
Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails, and with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers and with available features like the panoramic moonroof. You can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. Visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. If you're like me, it's now the end of the day, and you say, "Uh uh-oh, what are we going to have for dinner? Well, here's the solution. Eating better is easy with Factors Delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes. You're going to have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Flexible for your schedule, get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries at any time. Also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. Sign up and save. We've done the math. Factor is less expensive then take out and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. What are you waiting for? Get started today and get after your goals. Head to factormeals.com slash smirconish50 and use code smirconish50 because you'll get 50% off. That's code smirconish50 at factormeals.com slash smirconish50. Get your 50% off. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Listen to Michael live weekdays on POTUS, Sirius XM channel 124 and on the SXM app. Margaret Sullivan's book is called Ghosting the News. In my Twitter feed, there is a, a link to everything you need to know about it, as well as a, a posting at Smirconish.com. You write this. There was a time when newspaper publishers held on to a false hope. Digital advertising revenue would fill the gap left by the print ads that were slipping away so inexorably. What went wrong? Why didn't those dollars end up on the websites of the newspapers we're referring to? Well, you know, two things. One, I can say in four words, uh, print dollars, digital dimes. There just wasn't an, as much uh, revenue in those digital ad dollars to make up for the way newspapers had traditionally funded themselves, which was through, you know, supermarket ads and car dealer ads and all of that sort of thing, when they were nearly a monopoly way to get your message out. But also, Facebook and Google have... Uh, dominated the digital ad market and taken much of the revenue, you know, a great deal, um, the vast majority of revenue, um, even though they use and supply the, you know, they need that content from all these different publishers, but they end up getting the advantage of the, of the advertising dollars much more so than do the, the, the publishers themselves. I was hoping that Warren Buffett would be the savior, savior but, but he's now begged off. 
He has. You know, Buffett owned lots of newspapers for a long time, and he, you know, professes to love newspapers, and I think he does. But he never really portrayed himself as a newspaper philanthropist. He was in the newspaper business when it was a good business, and when it stopped being a good business, you know, he got out. Uh, one thing about that that's that's relatively optimistic, and I know and, and uh, certainly have respect for Warren Buffett, and he was a good owner when I was the editor of the Buffalo News, is that he's handed them off to Lee Enterprises, and he describes them as good operators, and they're not a hedge fund. So it's not the worst possible situation, certainly. Something that I noted, you know how Buffett does those annual statements and he and Charlie release them and it looks like they were typed on a manual typewriter. There's some real charm in that. Several years ago, maybe five, he explained his rationale in why he was buying newspapers. And what I remember, I'm just doing this from memory, Margaret, but it stands out in my mind, that what he found appealing is that he thought there would always be a market, maybe not for the regional newspaper, maybe not the big small town, but on a community basis, he thought we would still want to go and read the honor roll the graduation notices, see the photographs of the prom and the wedding announcements. I would like to think, and there's a newspaper in the community where I was born and raised. I'll give them a shout out, the Bucks County Herald. It's a free newspaper and it comes out on Thursdays. And I love that newspaper. And I I think that in a digital world, they are filling a vacuum or a void. Do you see any signs of that on a national level? Well, I think that, you know, this is one of these paradoxes on this subject. The content is really valuable. People do like it. They do want it. The question is, how are you going to fund it? And that's, you know, it's like the business model just isn't there anymore. And so of those 2,000-plus newspapers that have gone out of business, Probably 70% of them, that's a rough estimate, have been weeklies who do the kind of thing that you're talking about. They aren't all, you know, kind of uh, the Youngstown Vindicator, which did go out of business and was a a Metro Daily. But, um, you know, so the content is important. It's valued. But how are we going to pay for it? And how are we going to pay to, you know, print them and pay the reporters' salaries or whatever it is that needs to get done? That's the real issue. People might be surprised to hear about about I, I almost said uh, food deserts, news deserts, news yeah. deserts. And you, you referenced several. The one that jumped out at me because I, I stayed uh, at an Airbnb in East Palo Alto last year. And you go on to describe that in East Palo Alto, they, they used to have two weeklies. The small, multi-ethnic, relatively poor city of East Palo Alto has become a news desert. And as a result, there was no news coverage for a week when 80 percent of the school's districts, 184 teachers in an emotional public meeting protested what they saw as the school superintendent's mismanagement. They signed a vote of no confidence. If you lived in that community, you would have had no idea from newsprint what was going on in the schools. Right. And that I have to give a shout out to my colleague, uh, Paul Fari, who went to East Palo Alto and did this reporting, which I reference in the book. But that's absolutely right. And here's there's an example of what we can see we missed. It's hard to put your finger on what was missed. But there, you know, something really dramatic and important to citizens was happening in the community. And, you know, it just uh, if a tree falls in the forest and there's no one there to uh, to tell you about it is is kind of the situation that happened there. And it's really it's really dispiriting. And we can be sure that that's happening in news deserts all over the country, news deserts being places where there's little or no local news. 
And then there are ghost newspapers, uh, sort of where my title, Ghosting the News, comes from, which have to do with newspapers that exist. They're there, but they're so decimated, so much a sort of a specter of their former selves, that they're not worth very much anymore. So you've kind of bummed us out. Do you have any good news before you leave? I do. There are there are some really good efforts taking place. Um, there are a lot of new digital-only startups, some of which are nonprofits that are cre- cropping up in different communities. They're you know the uh, sort of the prototypical one is, and this has been around for a while, but the Texas Tribune in Austin, you know, but they're all over the country now. And I think they show a lot of promise. That's probably the most promising thing that's happening. How about the not-for-profit model like the Philadelphia Inquirer and Daily News? Mm-hmm. Yep. I mean, I think that I, I think it's good to see the Salt Lake Tribune actually uh, recently turned itself into a nonprofit. And if this is what's going to help newspapers save them, their, their own skins for their communities, I think it's really a worthwhile path. I thought the book was great, and I'm, I'm keenly interested in the subject. I hope you can tell. So thank you so, so much for, uh, for being here to explain. Very happy to be here. Thanks for your great questions. Margaret Sullivan, ladies and gentlemen, is the author of Ghosting the News. And now you know, as Paul Harvey would say, the rest of the story. Are you a daily reader of a local newspaper? Uh, my answer is yes, absolutely. Electronically, uh, online, but a part of my, you know, my daily read-in, both early morning and late at night, involves, in my case, the Philadelphia Inquirer. Now, I do this for a living. Would I be reading the Inquirer were I not someone with 16 hours of content to fill a week and always looking for story? I would. I would. And, and you know, something... Um, Something that I did give up, I don't touch it every day. I don't touch the Inquirer the way that I used to. I am obsessive about my my New York Times. So much so, oh my God, last Saturday, no, I'm not going to tell that story. Um, did so, you just stop yourself yes, from I telling did. a story? <laughs> Who are you? Who are you? I, I am a creature of habit no. and an oddball. No. And I just need to see the paper. No. And I want to tell you, it is damn near impossible now for me to get a Times in the suburbs of Philadelphia uh, no matter where I go in terms of convenience. Okay, I'll tell you. Last, <clears throat> so my, my Saturdays. Can't you get it sent to your house? Uh, I, but but Brennan bought me a subscription that comes to the studio. Right. It gets That's confusing. It gets confusing. Right. The point is this. Okay, here's the that point. That you, you go to Wawa and they literally have been develop, de- delivering one copy. One copy of the Sun of the uh, New York Times, right? I'm sure weekday too. So it, it, it's like, and every time I get it, and I, I breathe a sigh of relief, like, oh my god, it's six o'clock in the morning. I got the only copy. Don't they want to sell more? Can't if, you reserve it? So you got to talk to someone. So okay, that's the point. So I asked to see the manager last. Like I needed this, like like a hole in the head. It's Saturday morning. I'm on my way to deliver my CNN show. I'm just there for coffee in a newspaper, but there it's was hot, no it's paper. Humid. It's hot. I'm in a tie. Everybody's looking at me like I'm an oddball anyway, because I'm in a suit in a Wawa on a Saturday morning. Like, who the hell's this guy? So I did nicely say to the cashier, you don't have any New York Times. Oh, yeah, no, they must not have come in today. 
And I said, yeah, I know, but there's been a problem. Do you know what? Is there a manager here by any chance? Because I could just tell that the, right. and there were people behind me oh, in line. Geez. So guy now comes out. He's very pleasant. And I, I just felt like a total schmuck. The guy in the tie, you know, demanding his New York Times on a Saturday morning. But I said to him, sir, if I'm buying a copy every Saturday morning at six and you're therefore sold out by 601, maybe there's somebody else here who wants to buy a a New York Times. I'm just suggesting. I don't know what what happened to them. Oh, geez. Yeah. All right. Forget it. I'm sorry I told you this story. (laughs) Gang, do you do you read a local newspaper and has Margaret Sullivan convinced you? And I hope that she has of the value of that local news that you're missing. If you don't have a local newspaper, if you're not supporting your local newspaper, you know, what are the things you're not aware of? Imagine what local officials are, are able to do without the watchful eye of someone from that local newspaper. No amount of blogging makes up for that. Not in my view. Hear more of Michael Smirconish on Sirius XM's POTUS Channel 124. Live weekdays from 9 a.m. to noon east or anytime on the Sirius XM app. Connect with Michael on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and at Smirconish.com. Book Club with Michael Smirconish. New episodes drop Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. My son had a gift with technology. With reliable internet at home through the Internet Essentials Program, the world opened up. He's part of this next generation of young people who feel they can thrive. Through Project Up, Comcast is committing $1 billion to help open doors for the next generation with the connectivity and skills they need to build a future of unlimited possibilities. Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen pose that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories, stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country, including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts.